This morning we are going to be returning to the Gospel of Mark chapter 4. But before we go to Mark chapter 4, I want to do something we don't normally do. I want to ask you to stand again, those of you who are with us. If you'll stand. And I want you to hear again a portion of the passage that Stephen opened uh, the service with from Isaiah 55. And as we read it, I want you to consider this. That God has promised that his kingdom is coming. He has promised that he's going to make all things new. And what we hear in Isaiah 55 is that his word is sure. His promises are certain. These are really good reminders for us all the time, but especially when our world feels so divided and chaotic. Consider the word of the Lord from Isaiah 55. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and they do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, God says, so shall my word be that goes from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that for which I purpose. It shall succeed in the thing for which it was sent. Now consider his word, his promises that will be fulfilled. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. And the mountains and hills before you shall break forth into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn, there shall be a cypress. Instead of the briar, shall come up a myrtle. Have you seen the myrtles recently with all the flowers? Thorns replace with myrtles. And it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Amen. You can be seated. What we have here in Isaiah, and really what we have throughout the entire Bible, is this marvelous assurance that God will accomplish his work. That what he has started, he will finish. Consider this, church. We pray it, but consider it will happen. His kingdom will come. His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is what the Bible tells us. This is what we profess as Christians, isn't it? That God is coming. He will judge evil. And he will welcome his people into everlasting joy. This morning as we return to Mark chapter 4, we're going to hear two parables. And in both these parables, Jesus affirms these realities. That God is at work expanding his kingdom. And its growth and its success are sure. The kingdom of God that was prophesied in Isaiah is certain and sure. And this is what Jesus wants us to be reminded of this morning, that he is doing his work. He will accomplish his plan. This is good news. And when we come into church, we all say, yes, we know his kingdom is coming. But I wonder if you have Tuesday mornings or Thursday afternoons where there's doubt. It can be easy to look around and see the state of our world and be overwhelmed 
by darkness. To wonder if God is still doing what he has promised to do. To use the language of Isaiah 55, we may still see all the thorns and we don't believe that there could come a cypress tree. We see the briars and we long for the day of myrtles. It may seem that our world is void of any progress in the growth of the kingdom of God. And maybe for you, none of that outside bothers you. But maybe you just long for it to come in your family. Because you've got a brother or a son or a sister or a daughter who you are asking God to save. You keep sharing the gospel, praying for those around you, but there just doesn't seem to be any progress. And you start to wonder, is God really accomplishing his work in the world? Is the kingdom of God still growing and expanding? Because I don't see it. I don't see it. Is this going to happen? Is God working? What's going on? Well, church, the promise of Isaiah 55 and the assurance of our parables in Mark chapter 4 is that the growth of God's kingdom is certain. God is accomplishing his work. He will fulfill what he has promised. So we come to Mark 4, we come to a passage in which Jesus explained to his disciples the certainty of these realities. No doubt this is something the disciples had questions about. Remember who the disciples are. Remember their perspective. These are Jewish men. They grew up hearing about Messiah. A king who would come, defeat all enemies, establish his kingdom. They were waiting and they were watching for a conquering king. Someone who would fulfill the promises of Isaiah. Establish his throne and bring peace. And Jesus came. And you remember what he came announcing? Mark chapter 1, verse 14. Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. This was Jesus' message. The kingdom is at hand. And as the disciples heard this, those who would follow Jesus, do you remember what they expected? Political victory. They expected that Rome would be overthrown, that Jesus would reign as king on earth. But now, by the time we get to chapter 4, they have been with Jesus for a while. Things aren't going as they anticipated. Yes, crowds are coming to Jesus, but it's different than what they expected. In fact, Jesus has been sharing parables that suggest that there may be more that don't hear than do. There may be more that don't follow him than do. This is not what they expected. In addition to that, there's this growing opposition. So you can imagine the questions that his disciples must have had. When are you going to establish your kingdom? Jesus, look at us. How is your kingdom going to be built? Will it really extend over all the earth like Isaiah the prophet said? Fair questions, because right now this movement is not very impressive. A simple man from Galilee, 12 unimpressive disciples, former fishermen, a tax collector, an unlikely group for a revolution. Is this really how the kingdom of God is going to be built? 
Is God's plan really to expand his kingdom through this small ragtag group of men? Like I said, we may be tempted to wonder the same thing. We think about what we've been called to do, to go and to tell people the gospel. The question can be asked, is this really God's plan for reaching the world? We look at ourselves. We know our weaknesses, our ongoing struggles with sin. We look at our church, our limitations, our lack of resources. Can God really use us to bring change in our city, much less the world? We consider the growing opposition against the church and the world. The list goes on and on. We may wonder, is this really how God is advancing his work? Surely there is another plan. Which puts us in the shoes of the disciples, asking these questions. Is God still growing his kingdom? Are the promises of the kingdom sure? Well, here we get two parables that say yes. Yes, his promises are true. The kingdom is sure. And if we doubt our abilities, if we have in view our limitations, the parables remind us of this, that it's by the power of God that the kingdom will grow. And it's by God's power that the kingdom will expand to an extent that we could never imagine. So with these things in mind, let's go to Mark chapter 4. We're going to read verses 26 through 34. Two parables that... Help us consider the certainty of the growth of the kingdom of God. Start in verse 26. Hear the word of God. Jesus said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day. And the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself. First the blade, then the ear. Then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. And then again, Jesus said, With what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable should we use for it? It's like a grain of a mustard seed, which when it is sown in the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet, When it's sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make its nest in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without parables, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. It will not return empty. May God be honored in the reading and teaching of his word. So we come to the text and we see two parables, each describing the kingdom of God. By the kingdom of God, if you're wondering, what does that mean? We're simply talking about the reign and the the rule of God, okay? The extent of his reign. Two parables about the kingdom of God, about the growth of the kingdom of God, and both using the imagery of seeds. If you have notes, you'll see the title of the message. Title it, Our Hope, The Certain 
growth of the kingdom of God. And as people who long to see others saved, as people who long to see the church grow with more and more people being reconciled to God, we need this hope that God's kingdom's growth is certain. In the first parable, the main idea is this, that the kingdom of God grows by the power of God, that it's not ultimately dependent on us. And in the second parable, that the kingdom of God will grow beyond expectations. So the first speaks to the process of growth, and the second speaks to the extent of the growth. Two parables about the surprising growth of the kingdom of God, and if we go back and put ourselves in the shoes of the disciples, we should recognize how surprising these comparisons that Jesus is making would be. Think again about what the disciples expected when they hear that the kingdom is at hand. They're expecting military and political power. They're expecting fast-growing, expanding rule of a victorious king. But Jesus describes something different. He says the kingdom of God is like seeds and harvest. Something simple, something common. It's the picture Jesus uses, spreading seed. It's worth noting that this first parable is only recorded in the Gospel of Mark. Matthew, Luke, John, they don't include this parable. It's exclusive to the Gospel of Mark. It starts this way. The kingdom of God is if a man should scatter seed on the ground. This should sound familiar. If you've been with us through Mark 4, we heard the parable of the, the sower, of the seeds going out and of the four kinds of soil. The pictures of a farmer going out across the field, throwing or sowing seed. And we know this is a picture that represents our responsibility. It's our calling. The seed represents the word of God, the gospel. The field, the ground represents the world. The farmer, that represents us, disciples of Jesus. And so we see in the parable the work that we are called to do. And this should not be missed and this should not be minimized. As the people of God, we are called to scatter seed. What's the seed? Seed is the gospel. The seed is the word of God. And we've been called to go into the world spreading seed. We are called to be seed spreaders, church. <laughs> seed spreaders. We must continue to remember the commission that our Lord gave us to go into all the world and make disciples. We should have the words of Paul ringing in our head. How are they to believe in whom they have never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? This is God's plan for the spread of the gospel, that we would go and tell, that we would speak, that we would be faithful to spread the seed of the gospel in the world. This is our calling, and it must not be missed. But what I want you to consider is that this parable is not primarily about the farmer spreading seed. The seed must be spread. Have I been clear? The seed must be spread. But this parable says more about the seed than it does about the farmer. In fact, there's more said about what the farmer doesn't do than what he does do for the growth of the seed. 
We're told that he scatters the seed, but did you notice what he does next? He sleeps and rises, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. What is the contribution of the farmer? After he spread the seed, how does he contribute to the growth of that seed? He goes to sleep. And then he wakes up. And then he goes to sleep. And then he wakes up. And then he goes to sleep. It says he rises and sleeps night and day. That's all he does. Yet, the seed sprouts and grows. Now at this point, let's remember something about how parables work. Parables make a point, and we learn from parables based on what is said and on what is not said. Helps us to see the main point if we see what's God including and what's he not including. If we just look at what we have here, we could consider that maybe Jesus doesn't know anything about farming, right? Doesn't Jesus know that a farmer has to water and fertilize the field? Doesn't he know that a farmer has to pull weeds and protect the crop from animals? Jesus doesn't seem to have any idea how hard it is to be a farmer. But what's included and what's not included makes the point. Jesus says he scatters the seed and then he goes to sleep. And the point of the parable is that the power is in the seed. The seed doesn't grow by the power of the farmer. The seed grows by its own power. So to drive home the point, Jesus describes the contribution of the farmer. He scatters the seed. He goes to sleep. He sleeps and rises and goes about his normal day-to-day business while the seed is at work. The seed is growing and changing while the farmer is just living life. For a time, after he's put that seed into the ground, the farmer doesn't see anything. Then one day, he notices a small green sprout. Then each day, it's a little bit bigger. It continues to grow. It grows bigger and bigger until it's time for harvest. And this is what Jesus wants us to recognize. There's nothing the farmer does to make this growth happen. He sleeps and rises night and day. And the seed sprouts and grows. Look at verse 28. The earth produces by itself. First the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. There can't be any question about what Jesus is saying. The farmer doesn't contribute anything to the growth of the seed. Did the farmer scatter the seed? Yeah. What did he do after that? How did he contribute to the growth of the seed? He went to bed. The earth produced by itself. That word by itself, it's in the Greek, automate. It's the word that we get our word automatically. Seed seems to grow automatically. The growth isn't a result of the power of the farmer. It's the result of the generative power of the seed. 
And this is the nature of the growth of the kingdom of God. The power is in the seed. Which is to say, you don't possess the power to grow and advance the kingdom of God. God does that. Do we have a job, church? Absolutely. God has called us to spread the seed, to sow the seed of God in the world, to be faithful in sharing the gospel. We must be faithful. Hear it again. We must be faithful. And then we go to sleep. What does sleep remind us of? When we go to bed, when we go to sleep, then we wake up, it's a reminder that we are dependent on God. We trust him enough to say we can lay down and not be aware of what's going on. We're called to sow the seed, but the seed has the power. Paul says in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel. He spreads the seed. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The power is in the seed. The growth of the gospel in the hearts of people comes from God. He's the one who changes hearts and minds. That's something that we can't do. We can't change a heart. We can't change a mind. God does it. The power is in the seed. We scatter and we sleep, which is a way of saying we trust him. You remember Paul when he spoke to the Corinthians? The church at Corinth was making a big deal about the people, about the seed spreaders. I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. And Paul writes to them and says, what then is Apollos? What then is Paul, servants, through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each? Paul says, I planted Apollos' water, but God gave the growth, so that neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. It's the same thing we're seeing in Mark 4, isn't it? Paul spread the seed. Apollos Paul, watered the seed. Who gives the growth? The power is in the seed. God gives the growth. We have a responsibility. But we can be confident that as we're faithful to spread, God does the work of changing people. Jesus says the farmer doesn't contribute anything. He sows and he goes to sleep. And did you notice the end of verse 27? I love this. He doesn't even comprehend how it happens. He sleeps and rises night and day. The seed sprouts and grows. And he knows not how. I love that. I don't even know how it happens. Can we just be honest and admit we don't either? We know that if we take a seed and we put it in the dirt, something happens. And there might be someone who can explain it to us, but I don't know that anyone fully understands how we can take a tulip seed and put it in the ground and we get a tulip. Or how an apple seed produces an apple tree that gives us fruit that we can eat. Is your mind blown even a little bit with that? That a seed goes in the ground and it becomes a tree? And that tree produces something that we can eat? Wow. A grape seed produces a grapevine. Even with all our scientific advances, it's still amazing, beyond comprehension for most of us. It seems to happen automatically. 
The earth produces by itself. Seed in the ground, then the blade, then the ear, and full grain in the ear. And then when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. And we won't try to disciple all, all the parts of that. I think he's just talking about the process. It's happening, right? That blade and then the ear and then the grain in the ear. It's happening seemingly automatically. It starts small and grows into a plant. And this is how it is with the gospel. We sow the seed, we scatter the seed, and the power is in the gospel. God is the one who changes hearts and minds. God is the one who produces the harvest. And we don't have to be able to comprehend it. We don't have to understand the work that God does in people's hearts. Farmer said, I don't, I don't even know how it happened. Which should give us confidence. It should give us confidence as we share the gospel that God will do his work. Let's not forget the context here of the, the hearers. Right? We could hear in the parable of the hearers that some will hear and there will be rocky soil and, and shallow soil. What's our responsibility? To be soil inspectors? No. We scatter the seed. We trust that God will do his work in the seed. Martin Luther said it this way as he described his ministry. Martin Luther said, I did nothing. The Word did everything. Love that. Most of you know who Martin Luther is, right? The impact he had on the church. He lived in the 1500s. The Catholic Church was the primary church, but they had distorted the gospel. They weren't preaching the true gospel of Jesus Christ. They had made salvation something to be earned and purchased. And they had all the power. It was through men like Martin Luther that God started what we call the Protestant Reformation. He used Luther and others like him to point people back to the scriptures as the authority, scripture alone, and to recognize that salvation is by faith alone, through grace alone, by Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. And know this, we owe a great deal of debt and gratitude to the work of Martin Luther and others like him. But I say all that to say this. Consider the way Luther described his role. For all he did, for all he sacrificed, he said this. The word must do its thing, not we poor sinners. Take myself as an example, he says. I opposed indulgences and all the papists, but never with force. I simply taught, preached, and wrote the word. Otherwise, I did nothing. And while I slept and spent time with my friends, the word worked. I did nothing. The word did everything. I love that. What Martin Luther understood was the power of the word of God, that God is the one who changes hearts and minds. He knew his responsibility. No question about it. He was a seed spreader. But his confidence was not in himself. His confidence was in the power of the seed. I did nothing. The word did everything. As we think about his situation and all that he was up against, this is the mentality, this is the understanding we have to have, right? As we look at the world that's opposed to God, we know we can't change these hearts and minds, right? 
But we have the word of God that we are called to share and to spread. And the power is in the seed. And no doubt, as Jesus returned to heaven and you've got this ragtag group of men who have been given this great commission to go into all the world, they had to believe this. That the power is in the seed. For us, this should give us comfort and confidence that as we are faithful, we can trust that God is the one who changes hearts and minds. We can share the gospel and go to sleep. The kingdom grows by the power of God. This first parable is about the process of growth. The second parable is about the extent of growth. See, Jesus teaches that something that began very small and very discreetly will produce something very large that will be seen by all people. Let's read again, starting in verse 30. Jesus said, With what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It's like a grain of mustard seed, which, when sown on the ground, is the smallest of all seeds on earth. And yet, when it's sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can come and make nests in its shade. I want you to think for a minute. How do you think the disciples might have answered that question if given the chance? What should we use to compare to the kingdom of God? We've already talked about what they expected the kingdom of God to look like. What kind of illustration, what kind of metaphor would the disciples have offered? Maybe a great army or a powerful animal? A fierce tiger or a roaring bear? Do bears roar? Big animals, okay? These are probably the kinds of things they would compare the kingdom of God to. Jesus says the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. What can we compare to the kingdom of God? It's like a grain of mustard seed, the smallest of all seeds on earth. Now, small disclosure because some people have gotten hung up on this. There were seeds smaller than a mustard seed. But Jesus is using a common way of speaking for the day. This mustard seed was the smallest seed that most people planted and used. So it was kind of colloquial that anything that was the smallest of its kind was compared to a mustard seed. It's a figure of speech. There's nothing smaller than a mustard seed. So the seed may appear insignificant. And this is what Jesus uses as a comparison for the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. But here's the thing about a mustard seed. While it starts off as the smallest of seeds, when it's planted, it grows into a large tree. And before we, before we jump to the point of the parable, before we talk about what it means, can we just take a minute to just stand in awe of the work of God in creation. Maybe you've already been there a little bit. We've talked about the miracle of seeds. How we take something that appears dead and we put it into cold, lifeless dirt. A dead thing in a lifeless heap of dirt. We cover it up and we wait. And by God's design, things start to grow. 
Out of that dead seed and lifeless dirt comes flowers more beautiful than anything we could create. Out of that dead seed and lifeless dirt come trees and plants that produce food. And not just things that we can eat, but things that are good for us. Things that have all the things that our bodies need. A seed, a small seed can produce a tree that will tower above us, that will live for hundreds of years after we're gone. Or a tree that we could cut down and build houses and furniture that we can use. All from a seed. And I hope those are the kinds of things that slow you down and capture your attention. I hope that things like seeds, gardens that you've poured your sweat into, I hope they will lead you to worship. The psalmist says, the heavens declare the glory of God. And I want to suggest, so do seeds. And the flowers they produce. And the fruit we harvest. A small seed can produce something large and magnificent. And that's the point Jesus is making. Here's something as tiny as a mustard seed that may seem insignificant, but it's so important. He says the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. Even though it may have appeared tiny and irrelevant compared to the Roman Empire, it was anything but. And while Jesus may have seemed like a simple man with a small group of disciples, this was the foundation of the kingdom of God that will never be defeated. The point of the parable is that we shouldn't be misled by the smallness or the apparent smallness of the seed. He's telling his disciples the same kingdom that for a time appears as small as a mustard seed will grow into a great tree. By the end of the life of most of the disciples, they had seen some of the growth, some of the expansion. And there have been ups and downs over the centuries. But here we are 2,000 years later and we see a little bit of the growth but it's nothing compared to what is to come. The time is coming when Christ will return and his rule and reign over all things will be known and visible. And this parable illustrates the size and the reach. We see the size indicated by the growth of the tree. And some have suggested, and I think I'm there, to agree that the birds coming and nesting in the trees represents the inclusion of all nations. There's three times in the Old Testament when birds come and nest in trees and they're compared to the Gentiles. So we have this tree that grows large and birds come and nest in it. What is it? It's a picture of the size and the expanse of the kingdom of God and that it includes people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. It's like a mustard seed. Think about the contrast between Jesus and his disciples, the apparent smallness of the kingdom, compared to the vision of John in Revelation 7. John said this, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number. Mustard seed, Jesus, a few followers. A multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne 
and around elders for the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and they worshiped God saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And I think this is the vision. Jesus was trying to get into his disciples' heads. Yes, it may appear like a mustard seed now, but look what's coming. The growth of the kingdom is sure and certain. It's the miracle of the kingdom of God. One of the writers who's expanded most on the idea, in recent times at least, on the idea of the kingdom of God, is a theologian named George Ladd. I thought about summarizing what he said, but sometimes it's just better just to read it. So consider the words of Dr. Ladd. He says, this is the mystery of the kingdom. Before the day of harvest, before the end of the age, God has entered into history in the person of Christ to work among men, to bring to them life and the blessing of his kingdom. The kingdom of God comes humbly and unobtrusively. The kingdom of God comes to men as a Galilean carpenter went throughout the cities of Palestine preaching the gospel of the kingdom. It comes to men as his disciples went throughout Galilean villages with the same message. The kingdom of God comes to men today as disciples of Jesus still take the gospel of the kingdom into all the world. It comes quietly and humbly. Without fire from heaven, without a blaze of glory, without a rending of the mountains or a cleaving of the skies, it comes like a seed sown in the earth. It can be rejected by hard hearts. It can be choked out. Its life may sometimes seem to wither and die, but it is the kingdom of God. It brings the miracle of divine life to men. It introduces them into the blessings of divine rule. It is to them supernatural work of God's grace. And this same kingdom, this same supernatural power of God will itself be manifest again at the end of age. This time, not quietly within the lives of those who receive it, but in power and in great glory, purging all sin and evil from the earth. Such is the kingdom of God. Glorious truths. And I think this is exactly what Jesus was conveying started seemingly small. But its growth is sure because he's the one that gives power to its growth. And its expanse will be beyond expectation, beyond imagination. These are important realities for us, just as they were for the disciples 2,000 years ago. Because if we misunderstand the nature of the work of God, or if we misunderstand our role then it may lead to doubt and discouragement and even failure of faith. But what we have in these two parables are two clear promises. First, that God will accomplish his work through the power of the gospel. As you hear that, that's not to say stop spreading seed. No, we must spread the seed. It's a promise that should motivate us knowing that God does the power, that God changes hearts. Our call is to spread the seed. I know you have friends, you have family, you have neighbors, you have coworkers who you've been praying for and sharing the gospel with. Some of you have children whom you're asking God to save. Can I encourage you with this promise? The word of God is powerful. The word of God is the seed. 
So let us be faithful farmers, faithful sowers, and then trust him that the seed that is planted is powerful. This is one of the reasons I can stand here week after week. I know my weakness. You probably recognize it even more than I do at times. But I believe the power is in the seed. I can't change a heart, but the gospel is the power of God into salvation. And so we proclaim it, trusting that God will use it to draw people to himself, and we proclaim it to believers, trusting that God will continue to give growth, right? We hear the word, and the word does not return void. We must hear, and we trust that it's powerful. That's the first promise. That God will give power for the growth of the kingdom. And second, is that while we might not be able to see the size and the reach of the kingdom of God today, and while it may seem for a time that the world is gaining traction against the plan of God, we can be confident that the seed of the kingdom is growing, and one day we will see the fullness of the tree. A tree that will stand tall, and whose reach will be far, including people from every tribe, and every tongue, and every nation. These are the promises that Jesus gave to his disciples and have been given to us if we have hearts to hear. You may be glad to know that I'm not going to spend time unpacking verses 33 and 34. We've touched on them because throughout Mark 4, we've heard this call, right, to those who will hear and to those who will not hear. We read in verse 33, with many such parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples he explained everything. It's another acknowledgement that there are those who hear and believe and there are those who refuse to hear. Maybe you're wondering, what do I do with that? That there will be those who hear and those who don't, and here's what we do, we spread the seed. Knowing that the power is in the seed and that God will see to the growth of his kingdom. With that in mind, the certainty of God's work and the greatness of the kingdom that is to come. I want to begin where we started. I only hope that it grabs you the way it's grabbed me this week. God's promises are sure. God's word doesn't return void. A kingdom is coming in which all things will be made right. His kingdom will come on earth as it is in heaven. So here again, as we close, the words of Isaiah. The rain and the snow come down from heaven, and they do not return there, but they water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower, bread to the hungry. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that for which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which it was sent. For you shall go out in joy, be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn, there shall come a cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle, and it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. The power is in the seed. 
The seed will grow into a mighty tree. Let's be faithful to spread the seed.